Welcome to the Indisposable Podcast, produced by Upstream. I'm your host, Brooking Gatewood. And I'm your co-host, Matt Prindeville. Thanks for joining for another episode celebrating solutions to plastic pollution. Hello, everybody. Today, we are going to talk about one of the most powerful ways for citizens to engage in the Break Free from Plastic movement, the Global Brand Audit. The Brand Audit is a citizen science initiative that involves counting and documenting the brands found on plastic waste collected at cleanups around the world to help identify the companies responsible for plastic pollution. Break Free from Plastic puts out an annual brand audit report based on these citizen science data collection initiatives. And this project has helped raise awareness, mobilize local civic engagement around plastic pollution, and push corporate actors to change their ways. So here with me today to talk about this and understand how this awesome project works is Sybil Bullock, the Break Free from Plastic Global Brand Audit Coordinator. And we'll also hear from a handful of special guests, citizen brand audit leaders from across the globe, to hear a few of the many, many stories of how brand audits are helping to organize change. So Sybil, thank you so much for joining us and all the work you do to make this project happen. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here. So tell me a little bit about the origin of this brand audit concept. You've been doing it for a number of years now. Where did it come from? Um, Maybe some success stories from the years past. What's going on this year? Yeah, sure. So When the Break Free from Plastic movement was founded um, in 2016, um, it brought together hundreds and thousands of members from all over the world. Um, These are NGOs from small grassroots community groups all the way to large international NGOs and a little bit of everyone in between. Um, And this movement really brings these groups together to mobilize around a common mission to massively reduce single-use plastic at the source. And so So what many of these groups had noticed was that, you know, the popular environmental activity of a community cleanup is really a a great educational event to raise a certain level of awareness, but that these events are not really bringing about long-term systemic change. And so um, some of our, our core members got together and thought, well, what if we record data on what we're finding in these cleanups and specifically looking at the brands and the companies that are producing the waste that people around the world are, are finding in their cleanups. And so this is kind of the birth of the Brand Audit Initiative. It's really putting together community organizing and citizen science uh, to record data um, in order to expose the names of the companies that are trashing communities worldwide with the single-use plastic waste that they are producing. So it's an effort to kind of gather hard data to reframe the story of plastic pollution as one of not only consumer responsibility, but producer responsibility as well. Mm -hmm. And you guys have done this for a number of years now, and I'm sure everybody's wondering who are some of the top polluters according to your data so far. Yeah, absolutely. So the very first uh, large-scale brand audit was in 2017 in the Philippines um, on Freedom Island. And since then, we've done three global brand audits every year, 2018, 2019, and 2020. What's very interesting and telling is that over these past three years, we've actually seen very, very consistent results at the global level in terms of the top uh, global corporate plastic polluters. So in terms of 
you know, those uh, familiar names that uh, you'll surely recognize. The top five polluters last year were Coca-Cola, PepsiCo, Nestle, Unilever, and Mondelez International. So these are the parent companies that own dozens, hundreds of uh, what we call fast-moving consumer goods brands, like your typical processed food or consumer care products. And what's most telling is for three years in a row, uh, Coca-Cola has led by a very large margin in terms of being the number one worst plastic polluter. Um, the numbers for uh, the top three polluters, Coca-Cola, PepsiCo, and Nestle, these have been the top three for consistently for three years. Um, we have found thousands of their branded products in uh, between 30 to 50 countries. So Coca-Cola, we found close to 14,000 branded pieces of plastic waste. PepsiCo had a little over 5,000 and Nestle um, a little over 8,000. So you can kind of see Coca-Cola by far is leading the way in terms of uh, total amount of plastic waste, as well as uh, the most number of countries in which we found it in, which was uh, 51 countries for Coca-Cola. Yeah. And one of our guests spoke a bit about uh, in Uganda, they found a lot of Coca-Cola, but also Fanta and Dasani and these other brands that a lot of people don't necessarily realize are also Coca-Cola, but a lot of different beverage brands that are owned by that company, right? Exactly. Yeah. So when we say Coca-Cola was the top polluter, we really mean the Coca-Cola company as the parent company that owns Fanta, Sprite, Dasani, and these other beverage brands. For example, for the other top polluters, PepsiCo, um, is the parent company for popular snack brands like Lay's, um, Pepsi Soda, of course. Nestle owns Nestle, Kit Kat, Nescafe, some of these more well-known brands. And then I, I just like to clarify, especially for our U.S. listeners, that uh, the number five polluter, Mondelez International, might not be a name that you recognize, but this is the parent company for a lot of really uh, well-loved cookie companies like Oreo, <laughs> Lou Cookies. So um, Oreo is known as America's favorite cookie, but their parent company is also one of the top uh, plastic polluters. One other context piece that might be helpful for our North American listeners is to understand the whole world of sachets and how that's such a big part of the issue in Southeast Asia in particular that's really a bit different than single use here. Do so you want to explain that a little bit? So the problem with sachets is that they are very small, multi-layer, uh, single-serve small quantity packaging. So if you imagine a ketchup packet from a fast food chain or a single serve coffee or, you know, kind of the, the sample you'll receive of a new lotion or a shampoo, this is what we're talking about when we mean sachets. They're not as common um, in North America, for example, but they're very, very common in the global south and emerging markets. We see them a lot in Southeast Asia, where um, companies like Unilever and um, and others are using what they like to call uh, pro-poor marketing because they're able to sell very small quantities at a low cost to uh, low-income communities. However, uh, those come at a very, very high cost um, in the long term to the community's environment because these very small uh, sachets are multi-layered. So 
that will entail very, very thin layers of very low quality plastic and sometimes a layer of foil or different kind of composite materials glued together. So this makes it very problematic um, because it's impossible to manage as waste and definitely not possible to recycle. And those, the very small size means it would kind of clog the waste processing machines. And so you have on the one hand, these companies that are trying to sell their products um, in emerging markets. And so they're selling it at a misleadingly low cost um, because shifting to smaller quantities, it's been written about and, and, and researched. There's actually what's embedded in there is a so-called poverty tax because you're actually not paying at the same proportions as you would if you were buying that same product in bulk in a larger packaging. So it's really problematic, particularly in emerging markets, especially in, in Southeast Asian countries, is that these countries are already grappling with extreme impacts of plastic pollution as it is. Also, their markets are being flooded with this uh, small size single-use packaging. They're also being shipped plastic waste uh, from the rest of the world, and they're just not equipped with the infrastructure to, to handle it. Um, even waste pickers who rely on gathering waste materials that they can resell, they don't even want the sachets um, because they have no value in the market. Yeah. And it's helpful context because for some of our guests um, who are from other parts of the world, they're getting different information in their brand audit as a result of, of this piece of the story. So you've invited a handful of citizen leaders to share some of their stories with us here today. And I know, Sybil, you had a hard time picking people because there's so many amazing folks you've worked with. Um, but we've got five folks who agreed to share some of their story with us and I want to get their voices onto the show. So we are going to let everybody introduce themselves. Hello, everyone. I'm Sadra Chinirede from Uganda, and I'm the founder to the End Plastic Pollution Initiative in Uganda. And we are a movement of young people raising awareness and demanding urgent corporate action from companies that are producing plastics in Uganda. We would like to see that they achieve beyond uh, words, they take more action and responsibility to see that they end plastic pollution. Hello, my name is Tara. I'm the captain of River Warrior, a youth organization that focused on plastic pollution problem in Brantas River. And my name is Nina. I'm the co-captain of River Warrior Indonesia, and we're from East Java, Indonesia. We have been doing cleanups in Brantas River and Kenjeran Beach in Gresik and Surabaya, East Java. I'm Laura Hernandez. I'm a community organizer and zero-waste evangelist based in Gwinnett County, Georgia, USA, about 30 miles northeast of Atlanta. I founded a grassroots citizen-run organization called Gwinnett Recycles. For the past five years, Gwinnett Recycles has empowered the nearly one million residents of our county with waste reduction tips, articles, presentations, town halls, facility tours, and a comprehensive recycling directory. Through community meetings and festival booths and citizen science projects, we've opened a meaningful dialogue about waste. Hi, I'm Jake from Providence, and I'm eight years old. I just finished second grade, and I'm a rising third grader. 
I did my first cleanup with my nanny when I was four years old. She runs the group called Be the Solution to Pollution, and she brought me along. I have attended cleanups and spoken at environmental events with Be the Solution to Pollution. Good day, listeners. I hope you are all doing great amidst the threat of COVID-19. I am attorney Mark Tipinilver from Davao City, Philippines. Currently, I am the Executive Director of Interfacing Development Interventions for Sustainability, or IDIS, Incorporated. IDIS is an environmental non-government organization uh, locally based in Davao City. Also, I am a Young Southeast Asian Leaders Initiative uh, Professional Fellow for the Environment and Sustainability Cohort. So our organization, which is IDIS, is working towards the preservation, conservation, and sustainable management of the life-sustaining watersheds from ridge to reef in south-central Mindanao, Philippines. So it's really cool to have everybody on the show like this. And because of time zones, we had these folks um, send us audio clips, and some of them came in via WhatsApp. And so we'll thank you so much for for doing the outreach and helping get so many voices into this conversation today. Yeah, no, it was a very cool way to bring everyone together. Yeah. And one of the things that really stood out to me is that a number of the brand audit leaders were motivated by the impacts of plastic pollution on their local waterways. So I won't say more other than we just want to cut to the clips where different folks are talking about that just to, to give you all a flavor. First, we have Tara and Nina with the River Keepers in Indonesia. The reason why we are doing the cleanup is because Branda Silver is very important. It is the source of drinking water for more than 5 million people in East Java. And Kenjaran Beach is the coastal area in eastern Surabaya. And Nirere in Uganda. Our recent brand audit was on Lake Victoria. Uh, Lake Victoria is Africa's largest freshwater body and one of the world's largest inland water body. And it is a, a lifeline for over 40 million people directly surviving on it and over 200 million people that survive on River Nile that sources its water from uh, Lake Victoria, taking water all the way to the Mediterranean in Egypt. Many people are using this water for agriculture, for industrial reasons, commercial reasons, uh, but also uh, the local people, the, the lay people use it for uh, basically for domestic purposes, cooking, for drinking, and also for, for many other uses at home, and maybe for cattle also to drink. And it's really, really heartbreaking to see all this plastic floating on the lake. Uh, we have also found young fish dead on the lake as a result of blockage, suffocation and trapping by these plastic bottles. And it is really uh, so heartbreaking to see that companies are doing this on Lake Victoria. However, it is inspiring and the uh, to see that many people are joining us on this fight and we are bringing attention to the fact that companies need to take action. Mark's organization in the Philippines, as he mentioned in his introduction, is focused specifically on watershed management. And a large part of what they do is focused on cleaning up the various large volumes of waste polluting the riverways in the Philippines. 
One of the activities of EDIS is our regular river cleanup now together with our Pantai Bukit volunteers or forest guards. We basically trek along the riverbanks, particularly in the Panigan Tamugan watershed, uh, one of the watersheds in Davao City, to collect wastes which were carried by the river from upstream sources or from those who directly dispose their waste to the river. So, during our regular river cleanup, most of the waste we collected were plastics from big known companies. Now, because we not only collect this plastic waste, we also audit it no, to, to find out which plastic belongs to which company. No? And these plastics pose a grave threat to the environment and the wildlife in Panigan Tamugan watershed, especially now that the Davao city will be topping Panigan Tamugan River or watershed as a future source of drinking water for Dabawenos. Hey listeners, Upstream and Closed Loop Partners are launching the first ever virtual awards show for the reuse movement this coming fall called The Reusies. This inaugural event celebrates the pioneers and game-changing heroes who are working to advance systemic change and solutions to create a world where we can get what we want and need without all the waste. Nominations for four award categories are being accepted now through July 11th. Are you a business providing a reuse solution in the U.S. to help advance a waste-free world? Is your favorite business a trailblazer in creating reuse products that minimize waste? Are you an organization helping to advance reuse solutions in your community? Are you or someone you know an inspiring activist for waste-free living? If your answer is yes to any one of these questions, then submit your nominations now, before July 11th, by visiting www.thereusies.org. That's R-E-U-S-I-E-S dot org. Thanks. So, Sybil, you work with leaders around the world on this project, and I'm guessing the impacts of plastic pollution on the watershed and drinking water systems is a big motivation for a lot of folks around the globe. Do you find it's a common gateway into activism on plastic pollution? Yes, I, I definitely see this as a very common gateway. I think that's a, a great word to use here. Um, a lot of us experienced our first kind of heartbreak with the plastic pollution crisis by witnessing the impacts in uh, marine environments. This was an important chapter in the global um, awareness that came about in the last few years, seeing the impacts in oceans, on marine life, seeing, you know, the famous video of the turtle with the straw on its nose and all of these whales and dolphins washing up ashore with hundreds of plastic bags in their stomachs. So we really kind of had the alarm sounded with the kind of end of life impacts of plastic waste in oceans and, and in waterways and in the in the marine environment. And so this is an important place to start, but what's kind of been changing um, over time is that we're seeing that plastic may be definitely a big problem in where it washes up and where it ends up uh, polluting people's waterways, their drinking water, the livelihoods of people who rely on waterways, particularly fishermen, coastal communities where it's um, their livelihoods. But what we're seeing is plastic begins to be 
pollution um, much earlier in its life cycle. When we look upstream to earlier stages of the plastic life cycle, we kind of learn that from the very moment that the raw materials used to make plastic, primarily fossil fuels, oil and gas, um, those are the raw building blocks used to, to manufacture plastic. And so from the very beginning of its life cycle, plastic is pollution, right? At the level of extraction, we are putting waterways at risk in terms of the fracking that um, goes on in extracting those fossil fuels. We then see pollution in terms of the processing of those fossil fuels into plastic pellets, really poisoning the air and communities that live near those plastic production facilities. And even at the level of when we're buying those those plastic packaged foods and, and products, the sorts of chemicals that are added to the plastic packaging is then entering our drinking water. We're seeing bottled water um, full of microplastics and the kind of toxic chemicals that are added to plastic packaging also leaching into our, our food and, and you know, being ingested in our bodies. And there's been all sorts of incredible research that has emerged kind of showing the health impacts of that on different aspects of our health, on fertility. So it's definitely um, an important gateway to kind of first become aware of the devastating impacts of plastic waste at the level of where they enter our waterways. Um, But kind of as you dig deeper, there's a much bigger, more complex story So speaking of the gateway effect, Laura Gwinnett here in the U.S. has a great story about how she woke up to the myth of recycling through her brand audit work and also gives us a great download on what getting involved in a brand audit really looks like, how to mobilize volunteers, how being part of this larger global effort has been so motivating for her local community, and also the piece about being part of not just a cleanup, but to someone you're speaking to, Sybil, being part of a larger global systemic change effort. So we're going to let Laura tell us her own story directly here. When I first founded Gwinnett Recycles and began organizing cleanups, I was optimistic and a little naive. I believed both that cleanups were an effective and long-lasting cure for litter in a community, and that most of what we found on cleanups would be fully recyclable. Like most people up until several years ago before China's recycling import restrictions brought the truth of plastics recycling crashing down on us, I was under the impression that most single-use plastics and plastics in general could be given a new life with recycling. As I networked within the recycling industry and followed the news about evolving recycling end markets and dug into some of the hidden realities, I was so disappointed to learn that most plastic isn't and never has been recyclable. The clean, healthy, zero-waste community that I really want as a reality for every person on the planet began to seem so out of reach with the avalanche of disposability and single-use products, particularly plastics, and all the litter that inevitably results from that onslaught. Once I had that knowledge, doing cleanups and merely bagging up the litter to be whisked off to a landfill felt a little like burying the evidence of a crime. I was excited to learn about Break Free from Plastic and their practice of global litter brand audits. Brand audits are a great way to shine a bright spotlight on the corporate and systemic culprits behind disposability, single use, and litter, and all the attendant ill effects, lower quality of life, reduced property values, declining health and fertility, and more. 
Rather than hiding and burying this knowledge, brand audits thrust it to the forefront, putting hard data in the hands of community leaders and activating concerned consumers to compel companies to do better. I attended brand audit trainings last summer and recruited a friend to help me complete my first Break Free from Plastic brand audit in August at a river cleanup event hosted by the local Riverkeeper. For several hours, she and I dug into fresh bags of litter and noted types, brands, and quantities, collecting these details for more than 300 pieces of plastic litter. I submitted this data to Break Free from Plastic for inclusion in the global report, but I didn't want to stop there. I was hooked. I brought Gwinnett Recycles volunteers together for a second brand audit cleanup in a different part of town. It was at that event where one of my volunteers coined the concept of traditional cleanups feeling like hiding the evidence that I decided to make Break Free from Plastic brand audits a long-running program for Gwinnett Recycles. For the next nine months, 125 community volunteers completed 16 litter cleanups and brand audits, one in each city in our large county, collecting more than 10,000 pounds of trash and contributing 704 volunteer hours to the project. Early on, I set the ambitious goal of logging 5,000 plastic items. By our deadline, Earth Day 2021, we ended up logging 10,042 pieces of plastic litter, more than double our goal. Cleanups were hosted in a wide variety of settings. Several took place on major thoroughfares, others on roads behind shopping centers, still others on streets in quiet residential areas, and a handful in what really should be nat unspoiled natural spaces, woods, wetlands, and waterways, which were sadly very littered. After picking up litter for the first one and a half hours of the event, volunteers spent another hour sorting the plastic contents of the bagged litter into six piles. Plastic bottles, all cups, food wrappers, plastic bags and film, smoking materials, and miscellaneous. Once the plastic contents of the bags were sorted out, volunteers split into teams to log the items in each pile, filling out printed data cards from Break Free from Plastic. For every plastic item sorted, we noted details such as brand name, item description, category, type of plastic, single use or multi-use, and quantity. After each audit, I inputted the handwritten data from these sheets into an Excel spreadsheet categorized by city, reviewed and cleaned the data, and wherever applicable, matched brand names to their parent companies. A data scientist performed analyses, and we delivered all of our findings and takeaways to the community in a 41-page report released on our website on Earth Day. Now, two months out, while I unfortunately can't tell you that my community has renounced plastic or embraced the reuse revolution all the way, I can say that our local brand audit project has laid helpful groundwork. Our community now has a valuable resource in the form of rigorous citizen science data. This data equips local activists, policymakers, and other leaders to pick up threads and make change. Our data indicates that single-use products and packaging comprise 96% of the plastic litter in our area. We deduce that 69% of that litter comes from food and drinks. We determine that only a fraction, less than a third, on a good day of that litter could have been recycled. We found that plastic bottles, bags, and wrappers, in that order, and PepsiCo, the Coca-Cola company, and Kroger, in that order, are the top contributors to litter in our county. And we now know that we're facing a plastic pollution crisis in our inland county that is comparable to what we hear about happening way out in the ocean.
Microplastic is breaking down into our soil and waterways. Our volunteers, including children, got to see that with their own eyes. Since releasing the report, I've been invited by a city council member who came out to participate in an audit event to present to mayors and council members from all over the county about waste and recycling issues. I've also been appointed to serve on a new Citizen Sustainability Commission in my county that is tasked in part with exploring practical solutions to plastic pollution. And I've been able to speak with more confidence and authority about waste issues that matter a lot in my community and in yours. I love hearing Laura's story because I find it so powerful to hear directly from the founder of a recycling organization um, kind of come to the realization that recycling as a system is broken and it hasn't been working for a very long time. We know that since the 1950s, all plastic ever produced um, only 9% of it has actually been recycled. And in the last couple of years, a brilliant report from Greenpeace came out looking at recycling in the U.S., where Laura's organization is, um, and found that it's essentially only plastics number one and two that are recycled domestically. So it's really a shame, but this is something that so many of us grew up being told was the solution mm -hmm. and so desperately wanted to believe it. So I find Laura's testimony really, really powerful and valuable in that way. And now I think it will be great for our listeners to now hear from uh, our next guest speaker, Jake, who's a wonderful nine-year-old super activist who's involved with the Climate Reality Project um, in New England, Massachusetts, South Coast. And he does such a great job talking about this myth of recycling and some of the other big issues that came up in what we were discussing earlier with the whole life cycle of plastic. And I think it's great to hear from him because clearly this is something that the plastics industry has kind of shielded from public view, but it's actually very simple to understand. And it's so simple that a nine-year-old can explain it to you. So let's hear from Jake, who says it best. I became an activist when I was in kindergarten and joined the Sunrise Movement in Providence during the climate strip. My teacher, Miss Mercurio, let me do two lessons with my class about how plastic hurts animals and marine life. My nanny, Mary Lou, taught me about plastic and climate change. I already knew that climate change makes storms worse and can make the temperature very hot. The Climate Reality South Coast group wanted to give kids a chance to speak out against climate change and asked if I wanted to do a climate Zoom for Earth Day. I decided to do my presentation on plastic, and I learned so much while I prepared for my Zoom. Plastic is connected to climate change from extraction, like fracking, to disposal, like burning it. There are trucks and ships that carry plastic pellets and products. They use fossil fuels. Plastic gets burned, buried, or left in the environment, and only 9% gets recycled. Companies want to put the plastic pollution responsibility on people who buy single-use products. They say people should recycle, but they know this stuff is not getting recycled. It goes to landfills or gets burned. Lots of it gets sent to poor countries who can't handle it. 
Poor people in those countries are getting sick from tons of our plastic in our country. Poor people who live near the fracking sites, factories, and incinerators have to deal with the worst pollution and can make them very sick. Most of these people have a low income and are people of color. That's not fair. Fairness is definitely a huge part of the plastic pollution crisis and a lot of environmental issues that are at the core really, really intersectional. I think we see this so, so clearly um, the more we explore the plastics and climate connection like Jake walked us through. And another speaker that can tell us um, even more about this is Mirere from Uganda, who is a leader in both the plastic pollution movement as well as the climate movement. It's really, really essential to really center um, equity and justice at the core of what we do because there's such a disproportional impact of these intersectional crises on marginalized communities, on youth in particular that are going to be impacted by the long-term uh, consequences of climate change, plastics pollution for the rest of their lives. Um, but thankfully, we have leaders like Nirere pushing back with real solutions. As the End Plastic Pollution Movement in Uganda, we are also raising attention to the issue of climate change induced by the activities along the plastic life cycle. Many companies, as they keep extracting fossil fuels to manufacture plastics, they are contributing to breaking down our climate system. A breaking down climate for Uganda means people will be suffering, people will be having to run away from floods, to be displaced by landslides. They will be dying from hunger because of food shortage, as many crops cannot cope up with the increasing heat as the climate system is being destroyed. Therefore, we need to call upon companies in the industry, the entire industry, to see that they take action and do not channel investments into uh, production of many uh, plastics. Uganda is one of the countries that are being looked at into being used as a manufacturing hub of these plastics because we have just discovered oil and we are among the sub-Saharan countries that have just discovered this oil. Therefore, this oil is being targeted by the industry to manufacture plastics. Yeah, it's really powerful to hear Nerere speak so directly to the climate impacts in Uganda and how, you know, they're experiencing directly that if you can't harvest, people are starving. And that is just such a visceral version of climate impacts. And not everybody all around the world is yet experiencing that real an impact, but I think it's a really important reminder for us of how real um, this issue is. Speaking of real impacts and the effects of climate and plastic on future generations, and so it's, as Sybil, you said earlier, it's so important to hear from some of our younger leaders. And um, I love this little bit from Tara and Nina with the River Keepers in Indonesia about how their experience doing the brand audits is helping them learn and see the connections so directly. So I'll just let them speak for themselves about that. 
And nowadays, it's hard to refuse plastic because there are still not many people that knows about the dangers of plastic and all of the plastic that polluting our environment condition. And the interesting part when we're doing the beach cleanup and the river cleanup is how we're very familiar with the trash that we found. Like, I felt very weird because this is the stuff that I used every day or these are the things that I usually see and now I found it floating in the river and ended up in the beach. So it also makes me realize that it is very important to reduce, to stop using single-use plastic and start using more sustainable things. The inspiring part about doing cleanups is that there are still many people that care about the environment. We come to the river and the beach together to clean up and it is actually educate ourselves too. From doing cleanups and brain audit, it makes us more understand that plastic is everywhere and plastic is a huge problem because we can get rid of it and that plastic pollution is everyone's responsibility. It is our responsibility as a consumer to reduce plastic, to start more sustainable lifestyle, and it is the corporation, the brand's responsibility, to redesign their packaging to more sustainable packaging so that it won't end up in the environment and polluting it. And it's also their responsibility to clean up their waste that polluting the environment, and also the government also responsible to provide us a good waste management waste transportation so that we're not throwing our trash to the environment and also to make a regulation that bans single-use plastic. So let's talk a little bit about some of the results people are getting from this brand audit. A number of our guests mentioned that the top brands that they see, as we discussed earlier in the episode, Coca-Cola, Unilever, for example. So tell us a bit about the corporate responses you've gotten from these reports and the public pressure that they create for them to take accountability. Yeah, it's been really exciting to kind of see the company's responses uh, shift a little bit year after year. So in 2019, after a global report came out, we saw that just a few months later, uh, our top two polluters that year, Coca-Cola and Nestle, announced new sustainability commitments. So we thought, okay, maybe this is starting to put pressure on them. But when we dug a little bit deeper under the surface, we saw, for instance, with Coca-Cola, that these new announcements were merely just more greenwashing. So we saw Coca-Cola investing $11 million into more river cleanups and more recycling. And so we're really just kind of seeing more of the same, um, focusing on end-of-the-life interventions. And it's essentially a form of greenwashing when companies are just investing in recycling without any effort to reduce the amount of plastic they produce in the first place, particularly from a company like Coca-Cola that has uh, been estimated to produce about 200,000 plastic bottles every single minute. And then they've also been exposed um, in some great investigative journalism in actually working to block legislation that would actually improve recycling. So we're seeing real discrepancies in Mm -hmm. what they say and what they do. And um, it's also important to put into context $11 million for a multi-billion dollar company like Coca-Cola is mere pocket change. However, um, in subsequent years, we saw companies actually start to use our language. We saw Nestle last year comment in a media interview that... uh, Uh, you know, they're working hard to make their packaging uh, recyclable or reusable by 2025. Really, this 
this push towards shifting to refill and reuse, we're starting to hear them actually use our language, actually use the expression, turn off the tap and look upstream. So we're starting to see our influence uh, be reflected. But unfortunately, at this point, it's still nice language without real actions. And we're seeing that uh, most of the corporate commitments are still relying on recycling. Probably the most ambitious announcements to date have come from Unilever that announced a commitment in 2019 to cut virgin plastic use by 50%, including a total elimination of 100,000 tons of plastic packaging by 2025. So this is the best we've heard from a major consumer goods company so far. And Mondelez just committed to a 5% absolute reduction in virgin plastic. So again, these are not as ambitious or comprehensive as we would like to see, but this is uh, what we've been witnessing so far from our top polluters. It's worth adding as a final point that most of our top polluters have actually joined the new plastics economy global commitment from the Ellen MacArthur Foundation. But even this is not enough because we've seen that uh, according to their reporting, um, these signatories have only reduced their use of virgin plastics by 0.1% from 2018 to 2019. So relying on these announcements to, to improve recycling while not actually reducing the amount of plastic packaging they produce is not getting us anywhere close to the sorts of reductions that we need to see from the big players in uh, plastic pollution. And some of our leaders have really cool stories to tell also about the local impacts they're able to have from doing these brand audits. We heard a little bit from Laura's story earlier, and I'd love to share Mark in the Philippines who talks about some of the policy action that they've been able to create as a result of these brand audits. So the results of the, or the data we gathered during our river cleanup were used to lobby for a policy that would address plastic pollution in the city. In fact, Davao City passed an ordinance last March 2021, uh, an ordinance that would regulate single-use plastics in the city. So it uh, the ordinance listed a number of uh, single-use plastics that will be regulated or banned to be used and distributed in Davao City. So during our recent cleanup as well, no, last April 2021, the Bantay Bukid and us from Edis were able to collect discarded face masks and face shields in Panigan Tamugan watershed. This is very alarming concern because of the current global health crisis. The discarded face masks and face shields were attributed to the people going to the area for recreational activities like swimming and trekking. With this, we were able to lobby to the Watershed Management Council to come up with a resolution regulating recreational activities in the watershed areas. And in response to that call, the Watershed Management uh, Council issued a resolution to that effect. So Sybil, are you seeing a lot of stories of these audits being used to affect local policy like this in other places around the world? 
Um, yeah, it's definitely starting. I think it helps to have robust data that can be locally relevant or nationally relevant. Um, if you're targeting a stakeholder or a decision maker in that uh, district or in that state or country. So um, Mark's store in the Philippines um, is definitely a, a big success. We've also seen, um, to kind of bring it back to the impacts from our youth leaders, um, an excellent success story in Florida where um, Alex Gordon, who is a stellar student organizer at Eckerd College, conducted brand audits on her campus for several years in a row and then actually used the data to influence their campus president to sign the Classic Free Campus Pledge. And this has worked so well that they've actually started to work now with the city uh, of St. Petersburg, with their, where their school is based, to kind of bring those plastic-free policies outside of the campus community, and it's actually starting to impact the greater city that they're based in. So it's, it's important to realize that, you know, these changes take time, um, and we're still kind of in the beginning of this initiative, but we're definitely seeing leaders kind of start small but stay focused and growing that impact outwards, like Alex Gordon in Florida going from Eckerd College and then to the greater city of St. Petersburg. So there's a lot of potential that you can use the brand audit data in so many different ways. And certainly in, in the U.S. at the federal level, um, we're hoping that uh, we can push for really uh, ambitious policy with the Break Free from Plastic Pollution Act. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, Nerere had a beautiful story, too, about some local efforts blending the brand audit with a sort of a personalized version of what we would call canvassing here in the U.S. And I would love to just let folks hear his story about their People's Voice book real quick. Uh, we have also uh, launched our People's Voice book. Uh, the book is going around with us whenever we do brand audits and whenever we go into the community and engage with people. They sign in the book to send their message and write their message handwritten to companies that are polluting the environment. So far we have local leaders, we have teachers, we have students, we have celebrities, uh, artists that have added uh, their message to this People's Voice book. And the book is going around as a clear evidence, as a clear testimony of what people are saying and what people want from companies that are polluting the environment. The People's Voice book is always presented annually, and this year it will be the first time to present it. It will be always presented every year alongside our annual report that is exposing plastic polluters. And we shall be sending these messages alongside with the report to all companies that will be featuring in every year's report. And we call upon this year to see that companies take action. Yeah, so all these different opportunities to use this brand audit to get local community engagement, to raise awareness, help people understand the fuller life cycle of plastic and the justice implications, as we've talked about, in addition to the environment and waterway health implications. And here in the U.S., as we're coming to a close, you mentioned um, a little earlier, Sybil, the Break Free from Plastic Pollution Act. So I know that's one way that our listeners can get involved. So tell us a little bit more about that. 
Yeah, so for our listeners based in the U.S., um, the Break Free from Plastic Pollution Act is something that you can do right now after listening to this podcast. You can learn more at breakfreefromplastic.org slash pollution dash act. And essentially, this bill is the most ambitious and robust piece of federal legislation ever introduced to Congress that would really radically address single-use plastic at the source and bring about the systemic change we need. It involves holding the companies accountable, it involves pausing on new plastics production, and it really addresses a lot of the different essential parts of the plastic pollution life cycle in a systemic, structural, ambitious way. So uh, you can learn more on our website and please consider asking your elected officials to get behind it and support. This is really the piece of federal legislation that we need now more than ever. So hope you can help us get it passed. Yeah, that is a really big, exciting piece of work that's happening here in the U.S. And I imagine our listeners are also kind of excited about the idea of getting involved in a brand audit in their own area, either starting one or getting involved in an existing audit. So before we close out today and get some final words from everybody, I'd just love to hear you share with folks how they can get involved in the brand audit if they'd like to and when the new report is coming out. Absolutely. So I would love, love, love for listeners to join us. Um, you can learn more and sign up and get involved by going to breakfreefromplastic.org slash brand audit toolkit. We'll be hosting trainings and have all sorts of uh, new tools and new resources to support you in organizing a brand audit. And we really encourage you to organize one throughout the summertime. The uh, deadline to submit data will be September 20th, so just after World Cleanup Day. And that is so that we can analyze the data and prepare our report to launch uh, later in the fall, hopefully during the COP26 uh, gathering. So stay tuned for that and really hope you can get involved. Uh, we need all the participation and, and um, leadership around the world that we can. So please consider getting involved and contributing to this incredible global effort to hold plastic polluters accountable through this data collection initiative. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Sybil, for joining me, for helping connect us with all these awesome leaders around the world so that we could hear their stories today. As always, you guys can find more information about everything we've talked about in our episode notes. And as a closing, I'm going to share a clip from each of our guests from around the world and can't wait to see the new report. Thanks, Sybil. Thanks, Birking. With regard to the River Clean app, I hope we inspired uh, people by what we do. And I hope this uh, little uh, activity we have here in Davao City, uh, one of the cities in the Philippines, will have a bigger impact. Uh, our contribution to the fight against uh, plastic pollution and the fight against climate change. So I hope uh, every one of us will work hand in hand in advocating and in pushing for a climate justice and environmental justice for all. Thank you very much for this opportunity. Hoping to see that there is changing the business perspective towards uh, the use and manufacture of plastics and also we need to see that we consume uh, brands with a purpose. Uh, we are also seeing more people uh, become aware uh, of the science and 
uh, the science about plastics and the effects of plastics to the environment. And so far, we have engaged over 500,000 people in 26 districts of Uganda, 35 schools, and four universities. Thank you. Um, what motivates us to the beach clean up is that I think everyone has a right for a clean environment and our environment condition in the future is based on what we do today. If we keep littering and don't care about our environment, then in the future, we can't enjoy a clean environment anymore. We can use this data to educate our community about the dangers of plastic and what are the solutions and the alternative to switch to more sustainable lifestyle and for the company, the brands, to redesign a more sustainable packaging, to take responsibility for the waste that ended up in the, in the river and the beach, and for the government to have a single-use plastic ban regulation and a better waste management. Thank you for listening. Thank you. Bye-bye. After decades of public service announcements, education campaigns, and anti-littering enforcement, litter still plagues most communities and honestly seems to be worse than ever. Maybe it's because we've been treating the symptom instead of the cause. So I'm going to continue working to prevent littering, reduce my own waste, and consider what I can do to influence others' individual behaviors for the better. But I'm also going to ask other important questions. Why are billion-dollar brands permitted to make our planet's limited resources and even our own bodies and health increasingly disposable? Why do they manufacture one-time-use products out of a harmful, forever material? Why do companies block sensible recycling solutions such as container deposit programs? Why are corporations allowed to dump plastic pellets into waterways? Why is the cost to produce new plastic kept artificially low with scaled-back regulations and fossil fuel subsidies to the tune of $5.2 trillion annually? Let's also be sure to ask ourselves a question, the most important question of all. Will we continue to allow this, or will we demand a better world? We don't need more single-use plastic. We I want companies to stop making new new single-use plastic, and they need to design better reusable products. I think kids can make a difference by asking stores and restaurants to stop using single-use plastic. You can also do a brand audit to show which companies are responsible for the plastic pollution. Thank you for listening. And let's get the Plastic Pollution Act passed. And that's our show. If you like what you're hearing, help spread the word. Subscribe to the Indisposable Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Add a review, talk us up. Nobody spreads a message like you. The Indisposable Podcast is brought to you by Upstream, sparking innovative solutions to plastic pollution, envisioning a world without it, and empowering businesses, communities, and individuals to imagine and co-create this future with us. You can find resources mentioned on today's episode as well as learn more about Upstream's work at www.upstreamsolutions.org. Follow us on social and join the movement. There's a better way than throwaway.